0: Hi YouTube, it's Josh and Miles, and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is yet another video in the Summer of True Crime series. If you've missed any of the other videos in this Summer of True Crime, then be sure to go check out the playlist at the top of my description so you can catch up and watch other cases that we've covered. Also in the description you can find more information about the Summer of True Crimes and see which creators are taking part in it this year. Today's video is made in collaboration with the lovely daughter Remus and Dark Curiosities. Now I've actually collaborated with Dark Curiosities and Daughter of Remus before, separately, and together. So be sure to head over to Dark Curiosities channel to check out the video we did over on her channel. And then also over to Daughter of Remus's channel to go check out the video we did on her channel. That means you're getting three cases in one day, that's a lot, I know, we're spoiling you, it is a good Sunday. I'd just like to point out this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that, it's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various different public sources on the internet, and with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Two seemingly strangers go missing on the same day. Their bodies found six months apart in the same area, both with gunshot wounds and with both having an orange sock present at the crime scene. This is the Curious Case of the Orange Sock Murders.
1: Wednesday the 6th of January 1982 started out as any other normal day for 29-year-old Barbara Jo Oberholzer, known by family and friends as Bobby. Bobby kissed her husband goodbye as she left for work at approximately 7.15 a.m. that morning. In the area where she worked hitchhiking was a very common and quite safe way of commuting and as Bobby lived 14 miles away from her workplace in Breckenridge, Colorado she decided that she would hitchhike to work that day. At about 6.20pm later the same day, Bobby rang her husband Jeff Oberholzer and told him that she was going to the village pub to celebrate a promotion with some fellow work colleagues jeff was quick to ask bobby how she was planning on returning home and he even offered to pick her up however bobby told jeff that she didn't need picked up and she would simply hitchhike home
2: jeff and bobby had been married for almost five years after tying the knot surrounded by family and friends in a simple wedding on the first of july 1977. Jeff actually owned and ran a successful appliance repair business in their hometown of Alma, Colorado, but Bobby had decided from early on that she didn't want to confuse professionalism and personal relationships. So, had found a job as a receptionist in the nearby town of Breckenridge. Jeff was expecting Bobby to get back from the pub at around 8 or 9 p.m. that evening, so decided that he would make a nice meal for when she returned. So Jeff prepared and cooked dinner and waited for his wife to return home. While waiting for her to come home, Jeff actually fell asleep. He then woke up suddenly at about midnight and quickly realised that his wife had still not come home.
0: Jeff decided that Bobby had probably gotten a little bit drunk and along with her friends, had decided to go to another bar or another pub to continue their celebrations. It wasn't unusual for Bobby to do this and usually she would come straight home after the bars had closed. And knowing this, Jeff decided that he would stay up until about 2 a.m. in the morning to wait for Bobby to come home. And that was to make sure that his wife was okay. However, when Bobby didn't come home at two o'clock in the morning, Jeff grew very worried. He decided that he would get in his car and go look for Bobby in Breckenridge so that he could bring her home. Now Jeff quickly located Bobby's friends, the same friends that she had gone out with, and noticed that Bobby wasn't with them. And when Jeff asked them where she was, he was just expecting them to say that she had gone to the toilet, or something to that effect. However, Bobby's friends were quick to inform Jeff that Bobby had actually left the village pub at 7.50 p.m. and they hadn't seen her since. As you can imagine, this information sent Jeff into a panic overdrive and he was worried to the bone.
2: Jeff went immediately to the police station to report Bobby as missing. However, the police told Jeff that it was too soon since Bobby was last seen to report her as missing. Now, most police departments in the USA will not ask you to wait 24 to 72 hours before reporting someone is missing and actually encourage people to inform them immediately. However, unfortunately for Bobby, the police department that Jeff went to in Breckenridge was among the few that do require you to wait 24 to 72 hours. Jeff decided that his best option would be to go back to Alma to their home and wait for her there under the assumption that she would probably return later that night or early the next morning. The next morning, on Thursday the 8th of January 1982, Jeff received a phone call to the house landline from a farmer that lived about 30 miles outside of Breckenridge. The farmer had found Bobby's driver's licence on his land and had used the phone number on the licence to contact Jeff in an attempt to return it. Jeff, along with two of his friends whose identities are unknown, decided that they would make the 30-plus mile journey to the farmer's property to pick up the licence. On the way to the farm, Jeff actually noticed something that was blue in colour in a snow-covered field – As their car got closer to the field, Jeff recognised it to be Bobby's backpack. Jeff jumped out
1: of the car to see if he could see Bobby anywhere. When he actually got to the backpack, he found a blood spattered glove and some bloody tissues. Jeff and his friends then immediately started searching around the area for Bobby. Two hours later at around 3pm on the 8th of January 1982, Bobby's body was found 15 miles away from where her backpack had been found and 10 miles south of Breckenridge, Colorado. Her body had actually been found near the summit of Hoosier Pass. She was found face up approximately 300 feet south of the parking lot at the top of the pass down a snowy embankment. The entire pass was covered in deep snow and it is highly likely this was because it had been snowing extremely heavily the night before. Quite strangely, at the crime scene, only Bobby's footprints could be found. But this could potentially be explained by the fact it had been snowing when she had died.
0: A plastic cord was found tied around one of her wrists with a gunshot wound to her chest. She also had a second grazing wound which was inflicted to her right breast, which had likely been caused by a second bullet, barely missing her. It quickly became apparent to the crime scene investigators that this shooting had taken place in the same place where Bobby's body had been found. Meaning that she had been shot and that was her final position, and she hadn't been moved after she was shot. Evidence also found by the investigators at the crime scene also indicated that Bobby had gotten out of a vehicle in the car park. And that car park was at the top of the pass. Bobby's key ring, which was actually made as a small defensive weapon by Bobby's husband, was located in this car park on the top of the past. Investigators believed that Bobby had likely run down the road about 300 feet, uh, where she was likely confronted by her attacker. Then it appeared that she tried to go down the embankment, stopping at a cluster of trees before she decided to double back on herself, where she ultimately fell onto her back before sliding just a little bit in the snow, before coming to her final resting place, which is where she sadly succumbed to her injuries.
1: On the same day that Bobby's body was found, 21-year-old Annette K. Schnee disappeared. Annette was a cocktail waitress at the Flipside Bar in Breckenridge. However, she was actually from Frisco in Colorado. And just like Bobby, she also usually hitchhiked to work and back. Annette was last seen at around 4.45pm in Breckenridge on Wednesday the 6th of January. She had been seen leaving a local pharmacy called The Drugstore where she had actually filled her prescription. According to witnesses she was seen talking to an unidentified woman who she had reportedly reminded to purchase cigarettes.
0: The unidentified woman that was being described by the witness was described as being a white female, about five foot four tall, with a slender build. Interestingly, she was also described as looking like she had been camping out for a few days. The unknown woman smoked Marlboro cigarettes, and the only thing that Annette had collected or bought from the pharmacy was actually her prescription medication. Now, Annette was actually scheduled to be working a shift at 8 p.m. that night, and that was at her job in a bar in Brackenridge. However, her uniform was actually still at home, and she lived in a different town to Brackenridge, and it is known that she never made it back to her home to pick up and collect this uniform. Annette was described by those who knew her as being very, very reliable, and it is theory- that Annette had intended to go home to get changed before traveling back to Brackenridge for work. At some point on that journey from Brackenridge to home, she vanished.
2: Quickly the police connected Annette's and Bobby's cases due to the striking similarities. Immediately the police suspected Jeff in somehow being connected to the murder of Bobby and the disappearance of Annette. When the investigators interviewed Jeff, he initially claimed that he had never met and didn't know Annette. However, after he saw pictures of Annette on the local news, he actually recalled to the police that he had met Annette once. Jeff claimed that Annette had once hitched a ride with him and it was during this ride that Jeff gave Annette his business card. Jeff claims that this is the only time he had ever met Annette and that he hadn't heard from or seen her since.
0: On Saturday, the 3rd of July 1982, six months after Annette went missing, her body was found face down in Sacramento Creek, which was about 20 miles south of Brackenridge and about 10 miles south of the Hoosier Pass summit. Interesting to note, Annette's home was actually about four miles north of the summit. Annette's body was found in a very remote part of the mountains. Sacramento Creek is a very isolated mountainous area. And medical examiners believe that the freezing temperatures of the mountain range actually aided in preserving Annette's body. And this preservation of Annette's body actually aided the medical examiners and the investigators in determining her cause of death. And it helped the investigators try to piece together a cohesive timeline of what happened to Annette. Annette had suffered a fatal gunshot wound to her back, which had actually passed straight through her body and exited out the front of her torso. And this left no bullet in her body. The bullet was also not recovered at the scene, and they couldn't find any other evidence of any other shots being fired. The importance of locating a bullet in a crime is very useful in determining quickly what gun was used to fire, the bullets. And in turn, investigators can use this analysis of what gun was used, and put it against a registered database of all the gun owners in that area that own that gun. But no gun was found, so forensics turned to a different method of determining what the weapon was. Using the entry hole diameter and other forensic techniques, That I'm not going to go any further into because they are complicated and hurt my brain a little bit. The forensics teams actually managed to determine a profile for what the gun could have been that had caused this injury. And forensics took the gun profile in Annette's case and compared it to the gun profile in Bobby's case and determines that both Annette and Bobby had been shot by either the same or a similar weapon. And this weapon was likely to be a .38, a .357, or a 9mm handgun. Do excuse me if I'm pronouncing the names of those guns wrong. I do not have much experience with guns or how they're named. Evidence found at both crime scenes also indicated that both Bobby and Annette had been shot at a distance of about 1-2 to two feet. And that is considered a close-range distance. Now the weapon or the weapons that were used in both crimes have not been recovered to this day and have not been identified.
1: Annette was found fully clothed with both shoes still on. However, she was wearing an orange sock on one foot and a long striped sock on her right foot. The matching sock of the long striped sock was actually found in the pocket of her blue hooded sweatshirt. Quite bizarrely, the matching orange sock that Annette was found wearing was actually found six months prior at the crime scene of Bobby's murder. However at the time it had been collected as evidence but left unidentified. Annette's personal belongings from her backpack were also found between Breckenridge and the crime scene of Bobby's murder. Amongst all of the items found in Annette's backpack was also a photograph of a man who to this day has never been identified. Also quite interestingly at the scene of Annette's murder authorities discovered Jeff Oberholzer's business card. Authorities tried to piece together what had happened on the night of January 6th, 1982, when both women vanished.
2: Police believed that Annette had tried to hitchhike back home from Breckenridge at about 5pm so that she could get changed and put her work uniform on before making her way back to Breckenridge. However, Annette never made it home. It is believed that the attacker had picked up Annette and had actually driven her 20 miles south of Breckenridge where he took her down a small dead-end road. It was down this road that the attacker sexually assaulted Annette. While Annette was putting her clothes back on following the attack, she dropped one of her orange socks accidentally as she attempted to make her escape. The attacker then shot Annette in the back and left her body in the snow. Then the unidentified male drove back to Breckenridge where he picked up Bobby who was trying to hitchhike back home, likely intoxicated. The attacker then took Bobby 10 miles south of Breckenridge where he had attempted to sexually assault her, however it is thought that she fought back and tried to escape.
0: As Bobby tried to escape from her attacker's vehicle, the orange sock that Annette had accidentally dropped actually fell out of the car and onto the car park floor. Bobby was shot twice as she attempted to escape over the snow embankment. Jeff Olberholzer was later made to take a polygraph test after the discovery of Annette's body. And Jeff actually passed this polygraph test, but as we all know, polygraph tests aren't actually that accurate. And it is actually possible to manipulate a polygraph test in order to pass it. Now, according to the American Polygraph Association, the rate of accuracy for a polygraph test in 2016 is actually 90%. However, it is only 90% accurate according to the American Polygraph Association if the test is conducted properly by a professionally trained polygraph examiner. However, Many, many, many independent critics and independent scientists and other professional and scientific bodies actually protest this and say that the polygraph test is more in the range of about 50 to 70% accurate. And the most reliable source I could find for this showed that a polygraph test conducted with modern technology um, is only about 70% accurate and of course with the American Polygraph Association You do have to look into how they get their funding and I'm just not gonna throw a conspiracy theory out there But Amer- the American Polygraph Association does supply the police force with polygraph examiners And when they do that they get paid. The polygraph examiner gets paid and a cook goes to the association So you're gonna make a test that kind of leans more to the it's more accurate side if that's your main source of income, but don't, this is all allegedly, 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 do not sue me, do not come for me, this is just me telling you that when you see these tests and you see these statistical analyses and you see things like um, a 90% accurate statistic, blah 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 always look into the funding body of the scientific study that's been um, investigated or that's been, that's taken place because that can usually give you a strong indication to any potential bias that the study may present. So take what the American Polygraph Association says uh, with a grain of salt. When Jeff was made to do this polygraph test, the technology at that time, it was 1982, so it wasn't modern technology in the first place and if we ignore the American Polygraph Association's 90% and look at the critics and the other scientists' independent studies that show it to be 70% with modern technologies as of 2016 something doesn't quite add up. It seems like it's easy it seems like it would be an easy thing to be able to manipulate a polygraph test in order to pass it and my point here is that Um, This polygraph test should not be taken as fact, they do not stand up in court as evidence um, and there's a reason for that. And this polygraph test being conducted with the technology in 1982 probably meant that the accuracy of said test was probably in the lower percentile. Again, take from this as you wish and take the results of Jeff's polygraph test with a hint of salt. A polygraph test does not and cannot legally prove a person's guilt or innocence.
1: This case remains unsolved to this day. DNA evidence was actually collected from both crime scenes and went for analysis in the 1990s. The DNA came from the bloodied gloves and tissues found in Bobby's backpack which investigators actually initially believed the blood to belong to Bobby. However, the DNA tests that were performed in the 1990s came back with rather interesting results. The blood did not belong to Bobby but an unidentified male. The DNA tests also did confirm that the blood and DNA evidence found did not belong to Jeff Oberholzer
2: up until this point the police had considered jeff to be the prime suspect in this double murder however when these dna results were released the police cleared him as a suspect jeff actually also had an alibi for the night that the two women went missing Jeff had claimed that an acquaintance had dropped by to visit on the night of the 6th of January 1982 however for almost nine years the police were unable to find the man that Jeff claimed to have been a witness to his alibi. When this man was found in December of 1990 he did state that he had visited Jeff that night however there were inconsistencies with the times that Jeff and this man gave for his visit.
0: Police began to look elsewhere for suspects in this double case, which included looking at a person called Thomas Edward Luther. Now, Thomas was actually found guilty of beating and sexually assaulting a hitchhiker around the Breckenridge area in February of 1982, which was around the time that Bobby and Annette went missing. But nothing came of this inquiry. There is no public information available that goes into any detail of why the police didn't link Thomas to it, but I imagine, and because it's just down to speculation, that there is evidence on the contrary that make that proves that Thomas is innocent in this particular double case. Another suspect in this double case was a notorious murderer who went by the name of Tracy Petricelli, I think you pronounce it. However, like with Thomas Luther, nothing really came of this lead, and it isn't really known publicly um, why nothing came of it, or what they were investigating, or how they were linked together. If you'd like me to cover the Tracy Petracelli. Case. I think I just said that difference the first time I said it, um, then leave me a comment down below requesting it um, and I'll get that video done for you as soon as possible. This case remains unsolved to this day. In January of 2015, the investigators actually made a public appeal for any information or any details relating to this double case. However, it isn't actually known Publicly, whether any information or any new information or any new leads came to light as a result of this appeal. And sadly, that is everything that we have for you in this case, thank you so much to Daughter of Remus and to Dark Curiosities for joining me on this collab video. Make sure you go over to Daughter Remus's channel and to Dark Curiosities channel with the links in the description and check out the videos we did over there as part of the Summer of True Crime series. And Patreon members, you should already have a video telling you of the schedule for next week who I am collabing with, what videos are coming out next week as part of the series, and what cases are being covered next week. So make sure to go over to patreon.com forward slash Joshua Miles if you're a Patreon member and check out that Patreon exclusive video. Or if you are not a Patreon member, be sure to head over to that link. It's also in my description. A Patreon membership costs less than the price of one coffee a month. Uh, the lowest here, I believe, is one dollar a month. So if you're interested in supporting this channel, then be sure to go and check out the patreon. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash Joshua Miles. I actually discussed in the comments section of the last video this whole demonetization issue going on at the moment. If you see any adverts on my videos um, at the moment, I'm not earning any revenue from that those adverts, 100% of that revenue is being taken by YouTube, even though YouTube has told me that those- that content isn't advertiser friendly. It doesn't make sense to me at all why YouTube are running adverts on the videos anyway, um, but it is what it is. I've put out, um, and requested manual reviews on those videos, um, and hopefully, um, they will come to their senses uh, but yes thank you so much for your concern on the comment section of my last video. Um, I don't do this for money so it doesn't affect me that much. Don't forget to leave a comment down below telling me what you thought of this case and don't forget to leave a comment on Doctor Remus's and Dark Curiosity's channel telling them that I sent you. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post which is at the moment two or three times a week at the moment you're getting lots of true crime content on this channel um, don't forget to check out the playlist also at the top of the description which has all the summer of True crime collab videos in it um, this is a lot of me telling you don't forget to do stuff and with all that being said I will see you in the next case
1: didn't me was a game to play and you couldn't handle I had my ways around your mind tricks and your side tricks. I'm a winner, babe. But you didn't win this. It's a part of the game. Huh? Subscribe to Joshua Miles, number <laughs>. one crime Cow- channel on YouTube. Subscribe to Joshua Miles, number one crime channel wow. oh. on YouTube. Subscribe to Joshua Miles, number one crime channel on oh. YouTube. Oh.